available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome everyone back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site. On the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am not joined by anyone today. Ryan Abraham is trapped in a well. And I promise we will go save him soon after this show is done recording. But priorities demand uh, that I record this show first. And he would agree with me um, if we were able to communicate with him uh, deep inside of a well at the bottom of a pit. uh, You know, in ankle deep in water. Um... Yeah, this is the Podcast Champions. We cover all things uh, Pac-12 football um, or, you know, other stuff, too. Uh, really, it's the offseason, so mostly other stuff, but uh, ostensibly Pac-12 football. Um, and if you have any questions about that or any other ridiculous thing, um, you can email us, pac12podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we stupidly decided many years ago that we would answer more or less every question that comes in to that email account. So, really whatever and frankly we we barely screen uh before we even start reading live on the show by live i do not mean live but it is essentially live because we almost never re-record or edit this thing so um you know if you've got a weird acrostic poem we're probably not going to decipher it um if you've got weird things like i don't know people have done the whole ip freely to me in the past on this show and that's completely on you know that's that's completely above board you could easily do that to us um we are not very smart and we do read everything. Uh, you can call or text us, 424-532-0678. Um, we're not going to respond like live to either of those. We promised that in the past, but then we didn't do it. As you'll learn if you're a new listener uh, with most things on this show. Uh, but if you call or text us, we again, again will more than likely uh, read and respond to it on the show. Um, if you tweet at us at Pac-12 Podcast, you will almost exclusively get a response from Ryan. Uh, the only time I am ever on there is when Ryan has amplified something I disagree with. Um, website is Pac-12Podcast.com. You really don't need to go there. We probably don't even need to publicize it. That's just where our podcast is housed. Like it needs a place where the things, the stupid thing publishes, and it posts a little story about it. It's unnecessary. We don't do anything with it. Um, and by we, again, I mean I. Ryan has to post there every time he does a show. Uh, Reddit. The Reddit page um, is reddit.com slash r. I don't know why Reddit hasn't updated their whole system, so you don't need the r anymore, but you do. Reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions. Uh one of our listeners, I think, set that up last year. Uh, we keep promising we're going to do something with it. We haven't. We probably won't. But it does have like 150 people who are subscribed to it or whatever you do on a Reddit. Um, some of them post occasionally. Uh, we will check every now and then. Ryan uh, intermittently will post the shows on there. But yeah, if you want to hang out on Reddit and talk about the show or really anything else on that page, that sounds great. That'll be cool. Uh, you know whatever uh we're also an apple podcast so if you like this show um 
first, I mean, I think you should get a complete psychological workup. But if you do like this show or if you don't like it or whatever, anything in between, uh, post a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Um, Our system is set up such that you can only post five-star reviews if you try to do anything else. Um, I mean, there's some serious consequences. I I don't even know what they are. It's just the terms of service. Um, So you got to post a five-star review, but you can write whatever you want. So even if you don't like the show, definitely leave a review. It's got to be five stars. You don't want to face any of the consequences, but then you can just detail everything that's awful about the show in the text. That's fine. Um, But uh, you just, you got to leave that five-star review. And and really, I mean, if you're posting all that stuff, people are going to read. Everyone reads, right? Um, so you'll be you'll be doing a service to everyone by um, dissuading them from listening to the show. Uh, but that five star rating that's a that's a necessary component. Um, any other review, it, it's weird. It'll just get taken down, and then there will be reprisals. Um, all right, so that's uh, kind of the preamble that Ryan does every time. Um, yeah, that's tough. That's tough to get through. Um, so this is going to be kind of a different sort of show because I don't. Uh, typically do a whole lot of research for these things. Um, so I, I tried to read Wilner's newsletter before this, but it was a lot of basketball. And we've sort of trained our listeners to not expect any basketball on this show, and I don't really want to break from that. And frankly, if we don't have Wilner's newsletter to go on, we don't really have a lot to talk about, especially in the off season. So it's, you know, it's a trick. Um, one note. Uh, is that the commissioner search uh, in the Pac-12, um, they have hired Turnkey uh, as, um, you know, their their hiring firm, whatever you call it, you know, the search firm. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Turnkey, um, they apparently were the successful search firm for the ACC uh, commissioner search, so that's nice. Um, so they're turning, turning, turnkeying, uh, to a team that did a good job. Um, so hopefully, I mean, as we've talked about on the show, I don't really know. Um, you know, I, I think this is kind of a tough hire. I think there's going to be a lot of factors that play into this that don't necessarily play into it when you're hiring like an SEC commissioner um, in that you have to rescue a league that has been done in by some bad business decisions. Um, you know, what with the Pac-12 network, they have to either figure out how to salvage that thing or figure out how to spin it off or figure out how to shutter it. Um, and that's going to be a big part of the next commissioner's job, um, turning out some new revenue streams or um, getting a, a TV deal that punches above their recent weight. Um, there's going to be a lot on the plate of this commissioner. Um, and, uh, you know, they're going to need somebody with I would imagine a lot of experience in TV and rights management and all that kind of stuff um, because it's just uh, it's a it seems like a bit of a pretzel to me um, just trying to untie everything. So, um, you know, that's just my kind of uninformed take from the sidelines. So I think it'll be a challenging search. I think they're going to be looking for a little while, um, but hopefully uh, that turns out pretty well because. I'm just sick of people complaining about the commissioner as if the commissioner matters. So it would be nice if the commissioner was actually good. Um, okay. Well, other than that, there's not really a whole ton going on in the uh, good old Pac-12. Uh, we kind of hand-waved 
the uh, Washington uh, D.C. hire last week, um, Bob Gregory, um, but that should be mentioned a little bit more. Um, Washington fans still seem very upset about it. Uh, he was, I think, the D.C. at Cal before, um, so now it's kind of funny. Uh, Oregon and Washington have each have an offensive coordinator who used to be the offensive coordinator for Penn State, and they each have a defensive coordinator who used to be the defensive coordinator for Cal, but on both scores, I think Oregon got the better of the two. They got the better Penn State offensive coordinator in Moorhead, and they got the better Cal defensive coordinator in DeReuter. DeReuter? What did we decide? Remind me. Ryan's not here. Uh, De- De- DeReuter? DeReuter! I think that's right. Um, okay. Well, without further ado, I'm going to get to your questions because nobody needs to listen to me ramble on uninformed about any more of this. All right. We're going to start with the email questions uh, because um, I did tweet out four questions about 15 minutes ago, but I want to give them a little time to accumulate. So here we go. This is from Peter in Vancouver. Uh, NIL. Gentlemen, uh, the NCAA has so far not come out with a policy on name image likeness. Assuming that they do and that the current bill in Congress regarding NIL, the College Athlete Economic Freedom Act, is signed as well, what do you think will? Uh, what do you think this will do to recruiting in the Pac-12? Will Pac-12 schools be able to leverage the infor- the enticement of money from NIL in large markets in the West to keep some of the best recruits from going to other areas of the country? And will it give programs in larger population areas, LA, Seattle, Phoenix, an advantage in recruiting? That's a great question. Um, I think. Largely, the programs in larger population areas already have an advantage in recruiting in that they have um, access to the local recruits. And generally speaking, it's not perfect, um, but the larger population areas have better or just a greater quantity of recruits. Um, So I think that already is an advantage. I can imagine a situation where the rich do get richer in this situation where, um, you know, the ones that already have a lot of... um, financial interests you know the ones who already have the very rich apparel deals the ones who already have the very rich donors the ones who already have investment in the program that is expecting some sort of return on their dollar either from an enjoyment standpoint or from a awareness standpoint i think the recruits or what have you going to those schools um the players going to those schools will then also have an advantage um or they will also have an advantage in that area um i don't know if it drastically changes the equation. I think right now there's already a pretty significant imbalance um, with, you know, the rich schools getting richer and the poor schools kind of having to, you know, grub around after the leavings. Um, But maybe it'll get even more extreme. Um, I could certainly see that happening. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, I think this is a good thing. Anything to get more money in the hands of the actual uh, people who are performing the sport would be great. Um, and uh, it, it, it might it certainly could lead to situations where they're even within particular leagues, but across the sport, you know, schools that are at the top become even more isolated at the top. Um, could certainly see that happening. Um, Hithliday, stack effect. Uh, trying to keep up with the transfer portal this offseason is like drinking from a fire hose. 
Evaluating the 2021 signing classes against the needs of each roster seems incomplete this year since we don't know yet which needs are going to be filled by transfers coming in and which new voids will be created by transfers out. When do you boys expect personnel to be mostly stabilized? Are there any hard dates on the calendar coming up that rosters have to be finalized for? Do you think we'll see another wave of guys getting processed out after spring ball? Yeah, this is a really tough one. Um, and I think it's a tough one for the coaches, too. I mean, I've, I, what it's turned into is recruiting is kind of um, an up-to-the-season endeavor. Um, because I, I know everyone who's followed their, you know, the, the school that they are a fan of closely. I mean, even in years past, you would see an occasional couple of transfers showing up for the first time in fall camp. Um, that's, I think, going to be even more prevalent. Um, I think you're going to see that more often. So... No, I don't. There's not a hard deadline for roster finalization, and maybe that's something that needs to be worked out in the future. I don't think there they, there was necessarily a need for it in the past when transfer when transferring in was a lot harder and grad transfers were rare. Uh, now that it's going to be you know potential immediate eligibility for everybody, um, I think you're going to see some need to. And this is where it would help to have a larger overarching governing body who could dictate these sorts of things, but maybe it'll happen at the league level. Um, but something where they actually do have to have the rosters finalized. Um, because as it is now, I don't think there is any rule in place. Um, and I think you can add players up through August. Um, so, no, I mean, I, I would imagine just from like a logistics standpoint, I think a lot of it will be done pretty soon after spring ball. But you always do see um, a certain amount of transfers out after spring, a certain amount of guys who come in for fall camp or for the summer workouts. Um, so... Hifflede, I know you do a lot of uh, roster stuff. I would say what you see towards the end of June, once guys have reported for summer, is probably going to be pretty close to the final thing. But even then, I would expect a few guys still coming in and maybe even a few guys still leaving. Um, it's just it's going to be a strange thing until there's some, I don't know, some framework put upon it, if there ever is. Um, but if not, we'll just kind of have to adapt to a new and changing world where guys can move around a little bit more. And again... As I said with NIL, I think this is a good thing. Anything that gives these players more flexibility, more control over their futures, over the course of their um, you know, college careers, however limited they are, the course of their NFL auditions, as it were, I think that's all to the good. Um, but the, the details of it could make it uh, challenging for those of us who follow and cover the sport. All right, this is uh, from Perk. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to you guys correctly diagnose the main reason for the conference's decline in athletic reputation. It's best football programs playing and recruiting poorly. While basketball isn't quite the moneymaker football is, do you guys think basketball shares some of the blame for similar reasons? In the last decade, the Pac-12 had one total Final Four appearance, Oregon 2017. No other Power 5 conference had fewer than five. The Pac-12 had a total of five Elite elite Eight appearances. No other Power Five had fewer than 12. Zero national championships or title game appearances. Average the least amount of tournament bids per year of all Power Fives. Has the conference's performance in basketball done as much damage as football to its reputation in athletics? Uh, that's a great question, Perk. Um, it's uh, certainly a similar effect. Um, it's a difference of degree. Um, so I think basketball certainly shares some portion of the blame, but it's in the same portion that, I don't know, the revenue differences between football and basketball. Um, they share a small percentage, but the within that percentage, basketball has performed about as poorly. Um, so football matters more. More people care about it. 
Um, so the effect of that is the most prominent. In terms of basketball, though, it's it's a, and it's a similar reason. Um, so in football, a lot of the blame goes on USC, in my mind, and this is just my opinion, but a lot of the blame goes on USC for not churning out elite teams since basically 2008. Um and then, you know, to some degree, UCLA performing, you know, UCLA up through 98, essentially, was the number two team in the league historically. And then since 98, more or less, they've been about fifth. Um, and that kind of drop off for a team that historically performed better, that's no good either. Um, so those two hurt the league, I think. And then to a lesser extent, other, you know, other areas, you know, Washington being bad for a while and then having a brief uptick, but that bad for a while wasn't great in the early aughts. Um, you know, Oregon dropping off after Chip Kelly, but Oregon's basically been the banner holder for the Pac-12, so you can't blame them. Um, but it's just been, I think you could center a lot of it around L.A. Um, and it's not just me being L.A. centered. I think it's a lot of the reason why the Pac-12 is thought of so poorly. It's because the two, you know, historic um, one and two in the league, and yeah, it's one and then a very distant two, but one and two um, have underperformed um, over the last 10, 15, 20 years. But um, in basketball, it's very simply uh, UCLA um, has been crap uh, essentially since 2008 uh, with one brief year with Lonzo Ball where it was good. Um, but the basketball... Uh, you know, you, the Pac-12 to an even greater extent than in football. Uh, the Pac-12 is historically built around UCLA and then Arizona um, being quite good. Uh, Sean Miller, I think, has been generally successful at Arizona, but he has yet to make a Final Four in his many years there. Um, and they've always just been kind of short of that truly elite. Um, and UCLA has just, you know, made a habit of, uh, you know, they hired... They, they hired Steve Alford, who was a joke, um, and then they kept Zombie Howland on for way too long, um, and the result was essentially 10 years of nothing. And we'll see if they, they're able to come back um, with Mick Cronin. I think a lot of UCLA people and myself um, are all pretty optimistic, um, but it's going to be probably a year or two um, before they're back to that Final Four level. Um, but besides those two, I mean, you've got Dana Altman doing a great job at Oregon, but um, they're not historically, again, one of those programs. And, uh, you know, Washington, I think, um, has been kind of wandering the wilderness for a little bit. Mike Hopkins has not turned out to be the answer there. Um, Stanford has not been up, and Stanford is, again, historically probably in that top four in the league. They've had a rough time of late. Um, so it's just confluence of factors but again i think it's the top program the top potential program in ucla performing way 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 under its historic reputation um so in other words perk uh you can blame los angeles um as you know people around the country like to do um and i think that's fair <clears throat> all right um this is clean from seattle money and fan apathy hello gentlemen it's been a while since I've written in, but I've been stewing on this question for a few weeks now and have finally shown enough energy to actually compose an email, upholding the minimum standards of the podcast of champions. There has been much discussion over the last few years about the shortage of income in Pac-12 schools and the relative fan apathy found on the West Coast. Two schools not in the Pac-12 have the exact opposite problem, yet seem to be not to be able to get out of their own way, Tennessee and Texas. Clearly, money and fan engagement do not always equate to success. Obviously, money helps, but to Dave's previous opinion, 
there may be a point of diminishing returns, and over-exuberant fan-booster involvement can be a detriment. With these two schools in mind, what is the right balance for the Pac-12? As a USC alum and UW faculty, I much prefer where my two schools are compared to those two schools. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, with... So, a lot of it is relative. Um, So, with... Let's set Texas aside, because I think Texas is a weird case. Uh, Tennessee is a very tough situation because it's not in the purest uh, talent hotbed in uh, the SEC. You know, Tennessee is not, you know, Georgia, and it's not South Carolina, not North Carolina, it's not Louisiana. Um, But the expectations are pretty high there um, because they're fairly recently off of a national title. Um, And they were consistently one of those programs that was just sort of always in the top 15 you know, in those early to mid Phil Fulmer years. Um, and that might be a situation and not not to draw a complete parallel, but and because one was much more dominant, but it feels almost Nebraska-like to me in that they might not ever get back to that former glory. Um, it's just the SEC is, is... The SEC was always tough, but it is in a whole different bear now. Um, and I just don't know if Tennessee is ever going to kind of get over that hump i think they can be good i don't know if they're ever gonna be like a consistent 9 10 win team like they were for you know a period of whatever it was eight ten years so uh, i think tennessee is just kind of a challenging situation um where the the you know essentially nick saban taking over at alabama um and just the amount of money flowing into some of these other sec programs they've kind of gotten left behind and i don't know if that's if if just the the natural state of that program is ever going to allow them uh, to get kind of get back over that hump. But I think fan expectations are that they should and will. Um, Texas, on the other hand, I, I really don't understand this one um, because in theory, that job should be an absolute cakewalk. Um, you should be able to not lock down Texas, but more or less handpick the guys you want. Um, you know, a lot of kids in that entire state just grow up Longhorn fans. Everyone there grows up Longhorn fans. Um, it's just that, that should be, I mean, it's essentially a statewide USC. Um, and generally speaking, they do recruit well, but it just hasn't translated to the field. You know, I, I, I still have a pretty decent opinion of Tom Herman as a coach. Um, but it wasn't, they weren't just absolute gangbusters on the field. Um, and it's hard to suss out exactly what's going on there because, uh, there's a lot of talk of like the booster pressure at Texas and, you know, why, uh, you know, these guys tend to not last very long or they get burned out. Um, but I, I really, it, it's hard to, hard to really know that, um, like exactly what's going on there um you know texas historically is probably an underperformer relative to what its positioning should dictate um it's basically you know in the modern era it's like one good mac brown year and a couple other decent ones but you know it's one national title in uh 2005 and then you know good year in 2009 a couple other ones in there um but for the most part um it's been relative disappointment given the amount of talent they can get there um so Clearly, I, I think to your point, those aren't necessarily money issues. Um, Texas has all the money in the world, um, but there's just something not quite clicking within those programs. 
I don't know if that really answers your question. Um, but yeah, I mean, clearly the money and the fan engagement do not always equate to success. Uh, I think with the Pac-12, they're never going to have the money of a lot of these SEC or Texas-style um, programs. Um, but I don't think they need it. I mean, as I've gone through before, I think you can win in the Pac-12 um, without doing that. Now, maybe league-wide you can't have the sense of dominance that the SEC currently does. I don't know. I don't know how much that's tied to money or how much it's just tied to you know placement geographically. Um, but it certainly... Um, might play a role in relative success. But, I mean, I, I think the fundamental problem for the Pac-12 is just, again, really um, poor hiring um, generally. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think, again, not to just keep banging the drum, but the two L.A. schools being um, uh, relative to their history bad over the last 10 years especially – makes it so that a lot of the California kids that would usually stay within the footprint are not. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of recruiting and good work that Oregon and Washington can do in the state, but they can't cover everything. And when those two L.A. programs are down, uh, guys are going to look outside of the footprint a little bit more um, in the California area. So, yeah, I, I, long rambling response. I don't have a good... Um, way of getting into the weeds on Tennessee and Texas just because I am not within those programs but um, yeah certainly it's not all money equals success okay Um, this is from Aaron who is a BYU and USC alum alright Pac-12 expansion Ryan and Dave thanks for the entertaining podcast guys my comments and questions are related specifically to potential for expansion in the conference as we know the conference is in flux with a new commissioner on the horizon and with a new TV deal negotiation just around the corner. My question is twofold. Do you think the Pac-12 should expand? If so, who are the candidates? I believe the time for expansion is here. While I think the last expansion did not pan out quite the way the conference had hoped from a revenue generation standpoint, no offense to CU and much offense to Utah, uh, there are realistic opportunities for schools within the footprint, uh, within the existing footprint to add value to the conference. If OU and Texas are interested, you take them in a heartbeat. Beyond that, Hail Mary, the best choices for expansion are BYU and Boise State. Uh, BYU, yes, there are quirks, but they can be dealt with. Their football and basketball programs are solid and are already on par with many Power 5 schools. The athletic department is deep. They literally have their own network that broadcasts every sport they have. Undoubtedly at a loss, they are used to TV networks that underwhelm financially. They already play three to four Pac-12 schools every year. They have a natural, very hated rival in the conference already, and they have not just a regional but a nationwide following. Clearly, they are valued by the TV networks as they have an exclusive deal with ESPN for football games. Just look at the ratings for their games against Coastal Carolina, a game on ESPNU with a mid-afternoon start time. Pac-12 presidents, get off your high horse and work out a deal with BYU. All right. And then his claim for Boise State is, yes, they used to be a trucking school, but undoubtedly they have cachet nationally and will bring eyeballs to TV sets. You may not like the blue turf, but people know it and it sets them apart. In addition, they also have a solid basketball program and a decently deep athletic department. For a wild card, Gonzaga. Uh, No football, obviously, but they are the undisputed best basketball program in a non-Power 5 league, and it's not even close. They have a nice athletic department outside of basketball as well. Uh, bottom line is that if you add BYU, Boise State, and Gonzaga to the conference, you will add one to two more bowl games a year and probably at least two more tournament teams in basketball. That equals money, gentlemen. No more basic analysis like, oh, if we add Utah and Colorado, we get the SLC and Denver media markets. 
or we need research universities only. Stanford by itself, uh, Stanford be itself and can do its Stanfordy bullcrap and still take the money that these schools will bring in. Get real legit programs that have proven themselves over a sustained period of time. They are there for the taking. Thanks, love the pod, Aaron. Uh, you make a compelling case, Aaron, and I think if the decisions were made entirely about the play on the field, it would be even more compelling. Um, I know from like a TV watching standpoint, um, I, I don't think these are major media markets that you're talking about or would add a whole lot to the footprint. But if you're talking about quality of football, I think that would um, benefit the league. I think it would improve the quality on the field. I think it would improve the chances of the league making noise in the postseason. I think these would be good additions from that standpoint. I'm talking about Boise State and BYU. Um, the issues are <clears throat> those will not be um, the final and complete factors uh, determining whether or not the league adds them. The Pac-12 is very quirky in how it determines who is fit to join the league and who isn't. Um, and I, I would be shocked beyond measure if they ever allow a school with a religious affiliation, with a current religious affiliation. I know some of these privates started out as like Methodist or whatever. Um, but if they ever allow a school uh, with a current religious affiliation to join the league, um, just I don't think that's something they're super interested in. And um, how they are as a research institution, I know, I, I know that matters um, significantly for whether they will be allowed to go join the league. Um, they are kind of hoity-toity like that um, from a, uh, you know, tier one. I think, I don't know. It's something about tier one research university, something like that. But regardless, I don't think you're ever going to see it. Um, I think if they were being realistic and honest about what they're actually doing, which is managing a football league and a basketball league that are multi-million dollar generators for the entire footprint, uh, I think it's a no-brainer probably to add BYU and Boise State at some point. Um, but I, that's not going to be the, the final uh, decision maker here. Um, Gonzaga's tough. Uh, I don't think you can add... I, I know the league has added... Um, school specific for Olympic sports. Um, but I don't think you're going to see something where they add, um, you know, something for basketball that doesn't have a counterpart in football. Um, just not at this level. You know, I think if you drop down to the whack, you can see that sort of thing. Um, where a school will be in this for basketball, but they will be in the other thing for Mount for football or so on and so forth. Um, for, for the Pac-12, no. I think you're going to have to see equal basketball and football. So, Gonzaga, get a uh, FBS football program, and then we can talk. Um, but as it stands, uh, probably all three of these are non-starters. I would say the most likely is Boise State. But even that, I, I, I don't see as particularly likely in the near future. I think if you can get Oklahoma and Texas, that's the still the winning play. I don't know how much more creative you can get beyond that. Um, there's a point at which you go too far afield, and I do mean geog geographically, and it's just you're, you're starting to stretch the league in ways that make it um, tough to manage the logistics, um, particularly if you're still trying to do Olympic sports with all the schools in them or trying to do uh, <clears throat> uh, basketball road trips with all the schools in them. It just becomes a little bit more challenging. Um settling on you know a situation where you've got your conference tournament in vegas well say for example you add some weird east coast school you're putting them at a disadvantage having to play all their games um in the conference tournament three hours away I, there's just none of these are insurmountable uh you could if you really you know need to add the money 
Um, but I think there's there's some logical plays, um, which will involve you know a lot more of talking to current Big 12 teams, and then the illogical ones that get a little bit um, weird. So I could see eventually a situation where Boise State gets added, but I think that would be after they they either add some other teams or miss on some others, or there's some major um, consolidation across uh, the country in terms of football leagues. Um, all right, so that is it for the email questions. Um, I'm going to start paging through the Twitter questions. So we're going to take a quick break so we can play you an ad. Um, and there's going to be none of the weird uh, music because I don't have that on my computer. So we will uh, instead go with uh, just silence. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, everyone, we are back. Um... I, I literally just sat here for 30 seconds trying to compose myself and maybe get a little bit of, um, you know, a little bit of the dryness out of my mouth. I was unsuccessful, so you're going to hear me rasping harder and harder and harder as we go. Um, but we're going to fight through it together, you and me, and the rest of the people asking these questions. So here we go. The first question on Twitter is from at Utah Punt Team. Are we sure that the top team that is letting the conference down isn't Oregon? More recent playoff success, awesome recruiting the last few years, big funder. Hmm. Trying to understand where this is. So, I would say Oregon is the one carrying the league. That would be more my um, take on the Ducks. I think if you point at the last 12 years uh, since 2009, but honestly... I mean, since 2008-2007, uh, Oregon's been the, the 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 bell cow for the league. Um, you know, Washington had a brief uptick. USC's been, like, consistently uh, decent. Not decent for USC, but decent. Stanford, obviously, at the beginning of the period had, had some good years. But I think Oregon has had the most, you know, kind of sustained peaks. So, no, I mean, I don't, I don't think you can say they're letting them down. I think... Uh, they've been uh, really good, actually. So, I mean, if you're trying to say Cristobal, um, I think that you can make an argument, but I think that's going to be at least a couple years away um, if they if they don't break through recruiting at a top 10 level. Um, then maybe you can start to have that conversation in a couple years if they're not stacking conference titles. Um, but they're kind of in the process of doing that right now. Um, I'm interested to see how they look this year. Um, if they can put together a truly elite year, which I think they're capable of, then, you know, once again, we'll reevaluate Mario Cristobal. Um, but uh, this year was a little bit disappointing, and we'll see how next year goes. Um, all right, from at Westwood Bruins, would you rather be stuck in an elevator with Trip Kelly and Clay Helton or Ryan Abraham and Clay Travis? Wow. Got to go Chip Kelly and Clay Helton. Um Oh, God, that's tough. Now, this is not knocking Ryan. Um, This is more just uh, my 
pure antipathy for Clay Travis. He also looks kind of like he smells a little bit. So, you know, I've, I've, I've been, like, around Chip and Clay before. Neither of them smell badly. Um, they both seem like, you know, I, I would say, you know, they seem kind of quiet. I would say Chip especially seems a little bit, you know, inwardly focused. So you wouldn't have to talk. And nobody wants to talk in an elevator, right? Um, so I think that would be okay. Uh, but, you know, Clay's just a big, big dumb asshole. So he'd probably talk and say something stupid. So... Yeah, I got to go Chip and Clay there. And then which Disney princess would you most want to accompany you in this elevator? Oh, boy. Um, That's a great question. Truly great. Again, like going on the whole can't talk thing, you got to go Ariel, right? After she gets her voice stolen. Just so that, again, and this isn't like a misogyny thing. This is more of a, in an elevator, you don't want anyone talking to you. You don't want to talk to anybody. So stuck in an elevator... Got to go Ariel, got to go Chip Kelly, got to go Clay Helton. Final answer. All right, uh, this is from The Ben Royer. Uh, Why does Mick Cronin's head shine like it does? Ooh, well, I don't know if you've noticed, he doesn't have any hair, so I think that plays a big role. Um, Other than that, I would say he probably polishes that thing, you know. If you've got only one thing to decorate, right, you don't have hair anymore, you can't comb it, you can't brush it. Wouldn't you be polishing that thing or doing something with it? Like making it shine just right? Like just the way you want it? Like what do... All right, bald dude, sound off. What do you do with your head in the morning? Do you do anything interesting, fun? I mean, I'm going to have to figure it out at some point. Um, You know, I've still got like hair, but it's, you know, it's getting isolated and cut off. You know, I've got a widow's peak that never used to exist. And it's truly becoming like a widow's peak emerging from the depths of the ocean. Um, There at the front of my head. It's a tuft, really. Um, so at some point, I'm going to have to figure this out for myself. But uh, bald dude, sound off. Uh, what what do you do with your head, um, like in the mornings? You want to make that thing look good. What are you trying to do? All right. Uh, this is from Dr. Hernandez, USC. Maybe Dr. Hernandez. Who knows? Uh, what current TV shows or podcasts would you recommend? Thanks for suggesting The Dollop a while back. I listen to it all the time. So this is something that's kind of fallen apart for me um, in the pandemic. So last year, taking you guys in the Wayback Machine, um, I had a job. You know, I had a job that I went to every day, a day job. Um, Then I moved back to L.A., still doing that day job, but I do it remotely. So I don't have a commute anymore. Um, I would do all of my listening to podcasts in a car. Now I don't drive in a car and I don't have any... I need to be doing something when I'm listening Um, I think it goes to like a severe amount of undiagnosed ADHD. Um, But I need to be doing something like I need to be washing dishes or I need to be driving a car. Washing dishes doesn't afford all that much time um, to listen to a full podcast. I'd be doing it in fits and starts and never get through anything. So I don't listen to any podcasts anymore. You know, I try to do it when I'm like exercising or stuff like that. But I'd really rather listen to music when I'm doing that. So end result. Haven't been listening to anything. And honestly, life might be better for it. You know, you get too into the podcasting thing and then you're trying to listen to all your different shows during the week. And it's like, this is almost more stressful than it's worth. I don't need this much appointment stuff. I need to just, you know, enjoy these while I can. Um, So I don't listen to podcasts anymore in the last year. Um, Once I start doing a daily commute again, I'm sure those will be back in my rotation. TV shows, I've got some actual recommendations. So Succession uh, was really good. I talked about that last week. Really, really enjoyed it. Hoping for a third season to come out at some point. 
Um, I watched Ted Lasso, um, which was, again, I think we talked about this, but it was the antithesis of Succession, um, but still very, very good. And then um, I'm recently, uh, I'm re-watching The Leftovers, which I cannot recommend enough. So I started watching The Leftovers in 2014 when it first came out, and I was like, what the hell is this? This is really dark and depressing. And I hate it. I don't like watching all these people smoking. Many of you may have had a similar experience watching like the first episode or the first two episodes and then you quit it like I did. Uh, I revisited it, uh, I want to say a year and a half ago, two years ago, and fought through essentially the first couple episodes and it absolutely floored me. It's one of my favorite shows of all time. Absolutely great. And I don't know if it's just, you know, your life changes and so you're more receptive to certain, you know, little bits of media. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's absolutely great. It's, it's dark, but it's funny. It's, you know, good, like meditation on grief and loss and all this other stuff, but it's also a really hopeful show. It's got everything in it. It's, it's, but it's also just a lot of fun. Um, I think it was, uh, it's Damon Lindelof, the guy who did Lost, um, but clearly, improved so much as somebody telling a meaningful story since then um i really like the watchman uh his show that came out last year which is actually what got me to revisit the leftovers um so maybe it was more like a year ago when i first watched it um but it's it's really really good so uh recommendation the leftovers stick with it through a few episodes actually you might not love the first season until you get to like episode five or six just if you can if you've got the time to spend Look, everyone's got their own lives going on. If you don't have time to spend where you're not, maybe not going to enjoy something, give like the first episode a watch or the first two episodes a watch. And if you're not loving it, if you're a busy person, just set it aside. You don't need to do it. But if you've got time, if you're the kind of person who's asking a podcast, what current TV show should I watch? It's not current, but go watch it. It's really good. Um, I also, I've watched the WandaVision stuff. It's fine. It's fine in the same way that all that Marvel crap is fine. Um, I, I, I don't say anything great about it, but it's it's completely fine. Uh, if you like all the Marvel crap, it gets my enthusiastic, you know, lukewarm thumbs up. Um, but other than that, um, I haven't really been watching anything. Um, kind of just picking a show at a time um, and uh, seeing if I can fight through it over the course of a few weeks. So... All right. This is from <clears throat> Husky Fan Pod BT, BDTW. Uh, he asks an actual football related question What is UCLA ceiling this coming season? That's a great question. Um, I think Bill Connolly came out with his numbers this uh, week, and he has UCLA as number 21 nationally in uh, his preseason SP. Which feels a little high to me, um, but it makes sense based off of returning production. UCLA loses basically no one. Um, they return basically everyone from a team that was improving last year. Uh, it wasn't quite good, but it was improving. Um, I think it's maybe a little lofty. I think it's maybe overrating um, returning production relative to other teams returning production. I think um, I, I don't think there was much functional difference between it <laughs> from a lot of schools. I mean, I think UCLA returns more than most other teams, but it's not in the way that, say, last year or the year before, if a team returned 20 starters in the last couple of years, it was like, wow, that's a big deal. This year, everyone's returning quite a bit. Um, so I don't know if the advantage will be pr- as pronounced. I'm 
low confidence on the defense um, breaking into elite territory. I'm relatively bullish on the offense being pretty good, top 20, top 15, somewhere in there. Um, the combination of which, I think they could be a t- I mean, I, I, I think the ceiling, the ceiling it should be or is 9 or 10 wins. I think um, they could realistically be a fringe top 25 team. That'd probably be where I have them, top 25, top 30 something like that. Um, but I, I think you could see if everything breaks right, I think they could be top 15 ish. Um, but I, I've, I've rarely seen a UCLA season where everything breaks right. Um, so I'd go more like fringe top 25, something like that. Um, all right. This is from bread and butters. Uh, since Thanksgiving day, 2014, Chip Kelly is 19 and 47 at coaching football games. Is that good? Well, um, no, no, I, I don't want to say that's good, but all right, let's work this out. All right, 19 of 40, so 19 plus 47 is 66. 19 divided by 66, that would be a 287 average if you were playing baseball, like if you were batting. So if he, if that was like a hit rate, um, what we refer to as batting average in old school baseball statistics, that's not bad, right? Right? It's a lot of singles, I would bet. You know, I don't think there's been a lot of big wins in those 19. But, hey, that's not too bad. Let's just think of Chip Kelly's time uh, over the last seven years as a baseball tryout. That'll be the better way to think about it. All right, Robbie, of course, which teams do you see outperforming their preseason and SP Plus ranking this year? Uh, gosh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really upset some people. I, I don't pay for ESPN Plus. So I don't even know what the rankings are, and I don't want to look at it. Um, I could find it on, like, Reddit or something, but I'll just I, – I, I don't need to look at it yet. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I don't see UCLA wildly outperforming theirs, which is 21st, but I don't really even know where everyone else is. I think there are six Pac-12 teams in there. Um, so that's interesting. Um, also from Bread and Butters, will 2022 be the year we land the first five-star recruit of the Chip Kelly era? No. Uh, he also asked who has been the best Kelly recruit thus far. Uh, I'd probably go Sean Ryan. He's been really good at left tackle. Um, it depends on, you know, who you're counting as a Kelly recruit. I mean, Dorian Thompson Robinson by the end of this year might be in that conversation. Uh, but Sean Ryan for now, uh, Rob CUCI, what does Larry Scott spend his hours doing once his pretend Pac-12 commissioner fantasy ends? Um, counting his money. Um, I don't know, reinvesting some of that money into renovating the house that he didn't actually have to pay for. Um, meeting up with his media contacts in the lucrative technological base of San Francisco, talking to his friends at Comcast. I don't know. There's many things he could end up doing. Writing emails to this show under an alias, uh, Tom McNamara. Uh, he could do many different things. Um, so I, I think the sky's the limit for that guy. Uh, this is from MC DeCost. Uh, where should the Pac-12 hold its championship game, and why is the right answer Hawaii? Uh, I actually think Vegas is the right answer, and I think it's going to be permanent. I think it should be, um, and I, I hope uh, I hope it ends up being one of those really fun weekends. I think Wilner's had some really good ideas for that um, of building it around like a doubleheader where there's a basketball, couple of basketball games, and then the football game. In early December, I think that would be lovely. Um, if you've gone to the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas, 
you would completely understand this because it's so much fun to have all of the different fan bases interacting and doing their thing in like the MGM area. If you could do that same thing with a championship game and somehow work in a couple of other Pac-12 fan bases into the into the uh, mix as well via the basketball games, uh, I think it would be just absolutely awesome. Um, and then could, should Pac-12 have a consistent out-of-conference schedule with another league? And if so, which one? Uh, the logical one is uh, and always will be the Big Ten, um, and I, I would be in favor. Um, I think the reality of uh, scheduling and the difficulties that some teams have with scheduling might make it so it makes sense at some point for the leagues. You know, they've, they've flirted about it in the past, uh, the Big Ten and the Pac-12. They just It just hasn't quite come together. Um, but I think it might make sense at some point for them to just lock in their power five opponent every year or every other year or whatever circumstance it creates um, lock in one every year so that they know they've got a marquee opponent to build a schedule around. Um, Cause then it gets easier. Then you can just, you know, if you're not UCLA or USC, you can pick your, you know, your local FCS adjacent or FCS school. Then you can pick one other power five if you want to, or another group of five and then know that you've got a Power 5 locked in in the Big Ten. Um, and in the years where it's, you know, Rutgers or whatever, you can maybe add a different Power 5 as well. Um, but I think that that makes sense. I think it might happen at some point, even if it's in a limited capacity. Um, but, yeah, I think the Big Ten would always make the most sense there. Um, sports Psych, uh, do you see Pac-12 football not being the sucky Power 5 in the near, in the near future? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's it's going to be hard-pressed to uh, rise above the SEC at any point. Um, just I, I think the reality is the SEC is only going to grow more dominant. Um, but the Pac-12, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's not – when you look at, like, from, a, from like an actual power standpoint, it's not that far off. Again, as, we've, as I've talked about with Ryan on the show, it's ahead of the ACC typically. Um, and – that's with ACC, ACC having Clemson. Um, and it's not that far off from Big 12, Big 10. It's The SEC is, is just kind of a monster. Um, but if USC suddenly gets it together, or UCLA suddenly gets it together, or Oregon breaks through totally and becomes that top 10 program um, consistently, if Washington gets it together under Jimmy Lake, uh, if David Shaw can wrest control of Stanford away from, uh, you know, whatever demons have plunged it into the abyss, uh, whatever, you, you get what I'm saying. It, it's a couple, It's one or two programs finally getting it together away from potentially being in that conversation for number two again. Um, it's not, it wouldn't take that much. I think this is a very overblown narrative that the Pac-12 is just absolute crap. It's not. It's, it's been down for sure, no question. But it wasn't that long ago when it was up. Um, you know, 2013 was one of the best years for the league ever. Um, so it just it just takes a couple of programs getting it together. And that was not... 2013 was not, like, uh, you know, incredible programs. It was Oregon being pretty good, UCLA with Jim Mora, and ASU with Todd Graham. I mean, what? come on. These are nothing. And, you know, Stanford doing its continuous thing. So it, it just takes a few programs, I think, uh, performing at um, a pretty good level for them. Um, and if that happens, then Pac-12 will be right back in that conversation. 
this is from Alexander26. You're selected to be the new Pac-12 commissioner. What changes do you make to get your mojo back? Ooh, okay. Um, I simplify the TV network down to one. Um, that's like a first move. Um, and I don't know what the carriage deals are with everyone, but I would probably do that just as like a first thing. And then um, in advance of the TV deal, um, I would really just throw a huge amount of effort into trying to do something creative with, uh, you know, this is just kind of my fun idea, but try to do something creative with Amazon, Netflix, um, as like a doing a first look, whatever, streaming rights deal. I don't know how any of this shit works. I don't care. Um, but see if they'll overpay you. hugely for it um and i think um we've gotten to the point where most um there's not a huge barrier to entry for um people having streaming devices you know roku costs like 50 bucks um you know a lot of people have smart tvs that have these apps built into them um so i think you could you know i think there would be people making arguments that oh it's harder to watch in a bar or whatever um, that could be easily uh, countered with just the ubiquity of a lot of these streaming tools that are in place now. Um, and it could be, you know, I know when I um, cut the cord and was trying to stream games, like having to do it through a sling or having to do it through um, one of the apps, you know, if I was using somebody else's cable login, sorry, uh, awful cable providers, but if I was using somebody else's uh, cable login, Using, like, the different apps for the channels, like using ESPN's app or using the Pac-12 app or using the um, Fox Sports app is terrible. But using all of those different apps to watch the game, like on my phone or on a computer or whatever, uh, was terrible. Those apps all suck. Um, and I think Netflix, Amazon, uh, Hulu, what have you, they all have their drawbacks as, like, uh, apps to find something to watch. But the usability of the actual players in them, um, you know, whether like the, the whether the stream continues or whether it just like goes to hell is way better. And I don't know if it would change with live streaming, but I think they've got better frameworks to build on just from a tech standpoint than a lot of these other, um, you know, uh, companies with with their different apps. So I guess my point is. A lot of the things that people might say that, uh, well, streaming is unreliable or whatever, I think it gets solved with going with one of these major companies. Um, and I'm completely theorizing that they would even be interested. They might not. They might not give a shit at all about Pac-12 football or sports or live sports or anything. I just know that some of them have kind of dabbled in it recently. Um, and you might be able to get way more money because you're kind of the first um, big thing jump into that realm. So... That'd be something I'd look at um, just to see if you can somehow even out the dollars by doing that. Um, and then uh, the other big thing would be a complete and major strategic reevaluation of the officiating. I think it's the most public thing that the commissioner um, can immediately fix or immediately make noise about fixing. Um, so doing a major reevaluation, hiring the best absolute best officials you can find to evaluate how you are officiating um but also like take um feedback from the schools like figure out what is what is like absolutely frustrating because at the end of the day it's not about calling the games according to the letter of the law um which is i think what you might get if you just do it from an officiating standpoint it's also 
what makes sense? Um, what things do we emphasize? Because this game is meant to be watched. It's meant to be watched, and it's meant to be consumed, and it's meant to be paid for. And what are the things that are just absolutely maddening and frustrating to watch? You know, nobody wants to see a game where there are 15 holding penalties. Nobody wants to see a game where you can just toss it up and there's pass interference called every single time there's contact down the field. So figuring out what to emphasize, what not to emphasize, um, and doing that in a strategic way and not and doing it in a transparent way. I think there is a lack of transparency with some of this stuff and saying, hey, we are going to de-emphasize these things. We are going to emphasize these things. The reasons we're doing this is this. We want the game to be watchable. We do not want it to suck. Um, we also want to, you know, make sure we're playing by the rules, but we also don't want to make it so that, you know, a, a game is completely changed by the way it is officiated from game to game. So working on consistency between officials and then working on a consistent framework for what you want to call and why you want to call it. So it doesn't feel like it does currently, which is that there will be a different point of emphasis every few weeks in the Pac-12. Suddenly you're going to get like a million hands to the face. Suddenly you're going to get a bunch of tripping calls. You know, all that kind of stuff that's like, well, how many times during a Pac-12 game, everyone out there, have you seen something called and you're like, I have never seen that that called before. It's like some of these dudes read the rule book before and I'm like, I'm going to figure out a way to call this one today. And it's just, you know, it's it's. I'm sure it's fun for them, but it's no fun to watch. Um, so I'm, uh, I'd say that's one of the big areas. Um, all right, Jbrax, 11-22. Why does UCLA suck at hoops and what percentage of the fan base cried when they lost to USC? Um... So why do they suck at hoops just generally or this year? Um, I'll start with this year. They don't suck. Um, but this year, uh, losing Chris Smith to an ACL and then losing Cody Riley and Jalen Hill last week to, uh, you know, Cody Riley to an ankle, Jalen Hill to personal reasons, uh, obviously left them very shorthanded against USC. But UCLA is still, you know, in position to win the league if they can um, more or less beat USC in the final rematch. Um, why have they sucked, uh, generally, uh, was they hired Steve Alford and let Ben Howland stick around too long. Um, and now Mick Cronin's tasked with fixing it. Um, and he's doing a pretty good job so far. And then what percentage of the fan base cried when they lost to USC? Uh, you got your usual young fans. So a certain young fan who's very invested in the sport, I would say cries. You got your emotionally unstable people and good Lord, we've got a lot of those just nationwide right now. So some percentage of them cried. Um, you've got your, you know, just people who maybe take it a little bit more emotionally always. Um, so a certain percentage of them. So I'd say 9%, 9% of the fan base cried. Something like that. And the thing is, the game itself wasn't very frustrating. It was just, you know, it was a blowout. Um, it was going to be a blowout. I think going in with the understanding that Cody Riley and Jalen Hill were out, I think most UCLA fans were like, yeah, they're going to lose. It was a bad matchup to start with, even with Jalen Hill and Cody Riley in there. Uh, you know, USC as uh, maybe the top pick in the draft um, in Evan Mobley. So, yeah, I mean, that was going to be tough no matter what. Um, and then I think a lot of them were just like, well, um, no big deal if they lose. And then they did. So, I, you know, maybe not 9%, maybe even like 5%. All right. This is from Dorsey Dad On. Uh, I saw this post today about the number of offers in the 2022 class. A-State and UCLA stood out. Can you talk about what style you prefer, pluses and minuses, and does A-State send those by Raven, FedEx, email? How much is their offer budget? All right, so this is a list of 2022 offers. At the top of the list is Arizona State with 357 offers. At the bottom of the list is UCLA with 44. 
Um, so this one is very extreme, but it is a good indication of what's going on in those respective programs. Um, I much more err on the side of wanting to offer more guys. I think that's generally the game these days. Uh, UCLA is offering a ridiculously few, ridiculously low total. Um, they're they're even more exclusive than Stanford, um, and Stanford has actual reasons to be. UCLA is just doing this artificial exclusivity thing, which is very stupid. Um, so they're trying to make the UCLA offer feel special, um, but I don't think anyone notices or cares. Uh, I think they like being offered because it's a little, you know, endorphin rush or whatever. Um, so I prefer the offer a lot of dudes because everyone knows what that means. It's not a real offer until it's a real offer. Um, uh, this is Keely is my name. Keely, you're uh, Ryan's uh, staffer at the USC site. Uh, if Ryan is trapped in a well, does that make you lassie? Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's absolutely right. Um, and But I will not be rescuing from the well, so I guess that's not right. Uh, this is tough. Would Lassie really record a two-hour podcast? I'm just guesstimating. I don't know if it's going to last two hours. I'm only, I think I've only got a few more questions. Uh, but would he really record a, a two-hour podcast if Timmy was trapped in that well? I don't think so. So maybe I'm not Lassie. Or I'm a really, like, just absolute bargain basement trash. Absolute trash Lassie. Just horrible dog. Um, all right. We've got a few more that came in since I was rambling. Okay. We've got... Uh, this is from John in Michigan, I'm assuming. Uh, following the 2021 college football season, do you anticipate the Pac-12 will, again, fail to earn a college football playoff invite? Um... Yeah, I'm going to be optimistic. I say this year, uh, the Pac-12 breaks through again and makes it. I think, uh, you know, Bill Connolly being relatively bullish on the league with six teams in the top 25, that's good enough for me. I'll say somebody in there is good enough to break through, and they do the job, um, and they get up above the necessary win totals or what have you to get into the playoff and get crushed, absolutely murder-stomped by Alabama. All right. Uh, that is it. We got nothing else. There is nothing else in the hopper. I have nothing else in the Twitter. Let me check the email one more time. We've got nothing else there either. We are golden. We are done. You and me, we did it together. And I am speaking to you personally because you are the only listener to this show. Um, so it was a pleasure. Um, I hope we can do it again next time, um, except I wish uh, for next time that Ryan is here because my voice hurts. Um, my throat hurts. Um, it is very stressful to do the beginning of this show without Ryan, who is very good at reading all those detailed things and is good at producing news. Um, and, uh, you know, not even just producing news, but translating the news uh, from John Milner and John Cazano to you, the people. Um and uh, we are all we are all uh, worse off for his absence. So we will uh, be back again next week, hopefully with a full and complete show that includes news and notes, um, and not just me rambling through uh, you know twenty five questions over the course of an hour. But for no one else, certainly not Ryan Abraham, who's not here. Uh, I am David Woods, Bruin Report Online UCLA site on the twenty four seven Sports Network. He in the best of times 
is Ryan Abraham uh, from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And uh, we both will talk to you next time. Bye!